0: All right. Judges chapter fifteen tonight. And I just noticed that I did not put my list of names in the notes, and so I'm afraid to even try it. Unless there's somebody out there that's been practicing and wants to just do it for us. But I uh I did not even come prepared tonight, so I'm not gonna try to do this. We'll we'll skip that tonight. That's okay, we're not learning any new judges. We are still on Samson and if you remember last week just a little bit of review uh that we need to go over before we jump into chapter 15. uh, We saw Samson, he decides he wants this woman of the Philistines, which was a big no-no. God kind of warns him while he's going through a vineyard, sends a lion after him. Uh, He kills the lion and then later goes back to see the lion again in the vineyard. Wasn't supposed to do either of those things. Shouldn't have been in the vineyard. Shouldn't have been going near a carcass of a lion with his Nazarite vow, but he finds honey. Doesn't tell his parents about it. He goes takes the woman of Timnath, plays a stupid game, and he wins a stupid prize and kills uh, 30 men. And so obviously after he kills these 30 men, you know, he has to leave Timnath and he leaves his wife behind. And we saw that her father ended up giving her to another man, gave it to Samson's companion that he had. And so all these terrible things that are happening in this story is happening because God is stirring things up so Samson will defeat the Philistines. We are watching how God is moving, you could say, two groups against each other because God wants this fight. The Israelites were supposed to get rid of the Philistines and they were not being obedient to God. They had not been obedient to God. And um, God is specifically wanting Samson to do this. Now, I want everybody to keep this in mind as we go through this, uh, go through this story understand the philistines are really bad people who have no business in israel okay? and god wants to get rid of them but that doesn't necessarily mean that all of samson's actions that we're seeing are necessarily um, upright just the way he goes about these things is pretty bad but at the end of the day if we see what god's doing is God is dealing with the Philistines, but God's also dealing with Samson too. So I don't want any—I don't want anybody as we go through here and kind of look at some principles. I don't want anybody to think of like the Philistines as like just innocent victims or anything like that. That's not the case at all. But ultimately, uh, we're just going to show you—we're uh, we're, we're, going to see a series of injustices, injustices done by the Philistines to Samson injustice done by samson to the philistines and we're going to just see it keep escalating and get worse and worse but again god's using this because god's judge, going to judge both of these people he's going to judge samson and he's going to judge uh, the philistines and so in verse one it says but it came to pass within a while after in the time of wheat harvest that samson visited his wife with a kid and he said i will go into my wife into the chamber but her father would not suffer him to go in and her father said, I verily thought that thou hadst utterly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to thy companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. And Samson said concerning them, Now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. So notice that statement that he makes right there. Now, what we're seeing here is all around is bad. Okay, Samson, because he went and did something that was forbidden, An Israelite marrying a Philistine. It created a situation where he is interacting with people they weren't supposed to be interacting with. He ends up playing the stupid game where he gives them the riddle. They cheat. They succeed in answering the riddle. So now, Samson, he owes these people, you know, 30 garments and everything, and he doesn't have it. So what does he do? You know, they kind of did an injustice against him. So he goes and does a bigger injustice, you could say. And he kills 30 guys, you know, and, and even if you say, well, no, Philistines are bad, it doesn't count an injustice. Well, guess what? The Philistines would have seen it as an injustice. He kills 30 of them. And then that's how he's able to pay back this debt that he owes. So right now, when we're talking about offenses, you could kind of say Samson's kind of done more. But, you know, at the same time, we're going to see he's still mad. He still hates the Philistines, but he knows I probably went a little too far with this. So now he goes back to get his wife. Turns out her father is giving him to someone else. He's now lost his wife. So he's like, you know what? I, he says, I'm going to be, bl- I'm going to be blameless, more blameless than the Philistines. This was a great wrong done to me. So now I have an excuse to get the Philistines back even more. And so let's go and see what he does. And, in, um, in verse uh 4, it says, And Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took firebrands and turned tail to tail and put a firebrand in the midst between the two tails. Now, what do you think is going to happen? You get two foxes and you put a firebrand in between their tails. They're going to take off running. And uh, now, here's my question. How did he manage to catch 300 foxes and do this? Now, I, I, remember, I remember my dad talking about this one time and he mentioned, you know, not only did Samson have uh, you know, great strength, but he had great speed too. And I remember thinking, where do you get that from? And he told that story, you know, I was like, I guess, I mean, how do you catch 300 foxes? I don't know how you do it, but he did it. And is it in somehow able to round them all up where he's able to do all this? I don't know how he pulled this off. The Bible does not tell us, but either way it's, it's pretty impressive. And he's doing this to burn their fields, which is going to be a really big deal. And so Things are just things are just escalating in the story, and this often happens when there's conflicts with people. So you, we might you might feel a lot of anger, hatred, or bitterness, while at the same time realizing you know these people probably don't deserve to die or suffer abuse, you know, but or whatever it is we're thinking about doing to them. Okay, and and I know nobody in here ever plots on how you can get vengeance on people and in your mind and you know what you would do. I joke about egging houses all the time. Uh, never done it. Okay, still never done it. Uh, I talk about egging houses so much because that's probably one of the things I would do uh, to get vengeance. I, yeah, but you know, it doesn't really hurt anybody, and it is just a very insulting thing and makes people feel unwelcome. And we won't mention the specific houses I usually talk about egging, but at the same time, um, you know, you, you think about doing stuff like that. Most of us wouldn't really do it, but at the same time, you know, and even in situations where it's not just. You know, There's been people before, you probably wanted to punch them in the nose, but you knew it wouldn't be just to punch them in the nose. So the thing is, when that happens, and, you, and we were, you were like this when you were a kid in school too, those people that you hated, those people that you always had these conflicts with, you almost wanted them to do something to give you an excuse. Anybody ever felt that way before? And that's what's going on with Samson right now. He's got so much hatred in his heart for the Philistines, he's wanting them to do something So he can go and do even more because you know what? He wasn't satisfied after he killed the 30 men. He still wasn't satisfied. He's wanting to do more. And this is what happens, uh, you know, when somebody messes up, you know, in, in the person who has offended's heart, they're just waiting so they can just justify going, as we say, all scorched earth on them. And you can kind of say Samson's going scorched earth on these people here and he's scorching their fields. So, um, you know, this, this, I don't, where does that term scorched earth even come from? I I don't, I I don't, I think it originates from a movie or something, but um, clearly that thinking has always been around, even with Samson. But if anybody knows the scorched earth reference, where that comes from, I'd be interested to know, because I use that term all the time too. And while I don't really know what that means, we all know what that means, don't we? And, uh, and, and I mentioned that too, because we're going to look at something else here in a little bit. So there's always been expressions like that, you know, that when it comes to certain things like this. And so anyway, uh, it says in verse five, and when he had set the brands on fire, he set, he let them go into the standing corn of the Philistines and burn up both the shocks and also the standing corn with the vineyards and the olives. And this is a really big deal, especially back then, because. Stuff like this could potentially cause starvation. I mean, you know, back in the day, you know, starvation would often happen if there were famines, if there were, it was some kind of crop failure. It was a really big deal. So Samson doing something like this, this was a major act of war that you could say that this one guy has done against the Philistines. And so this obviously is going to escalate the situation. The Philistines aren't going to look and say, well, you know, his wife was given away to someone else. You know, let's just let it go now. Let's, we're all even. No, that's, that's not the way things go. Okay, once once people start hating on each other, they don't get ever get to a point where they're even. That, that never happens. It always escalates. And so in verse six, then the Philistine said, "Who hath done this?" And they answered, "Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he hath taken his wife and given her." To his companion, and the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. Now, not 100% sure if they did this to punish Samson or if they did it to punish Samson's father in law because, hey, because of what you did, we just lost all our crops and everything, but they could have done it too, wanting to get at Samson. The Bible doesn't tell us, but either way, things are escalating. Things are getting worse. And so, verse 7. seven and, and Samson said to them, Though ye have done this, yet will I be avenged of you. And after that, I will cease. So now, Samson's got to do something again. See how just everything goes back and forth. It just never ends. But then, too, you notice how it says, too, and once I get this vengeance, I'll be done. You know, that, that's all it's going to take. I'm just going to do this one thing, and then I'm going to cease. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how many men did this act of burning uh, or killing Samson's uh, wife and father-in-law. But Samson decided he would kill them and he would be satisfied. Well, verse 8, And he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter, and he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock, Etam. Now, notice that phrase, smote them hip and thigh. I don't know what that means exactly. I, I tried looking it up, but apparently that's some kind of expression. Again, you know, like he smoked them. He creamed them. You know, he, and, that's, and so apparently that's what that means. It's something along those lines. And so uh, that's how we would say it today. Those guys that killed his wife and father-in-law, Samson annihilated them. Have you ever heard that term too? And technically that doesn't make sense because when you annihilate something, it ceases to exist. So you know, But we all get the point, right? And I think that's what that hip and thigh is a reference to don't don't fully understand why it's put that way. But verse nine says, Then the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah and spread themselves in Lehi. And so understand, while Samson has now moved on, the Philistines are like, We gotta respond to this. We gotta do something. Things are escalating even more. And so it says, And the men of Judah said, Why are ye come up against us? And the answer to and Samson are we come up to do to him as he hath done to us. What are they just trying to do? We're just trying to get justice here. Everybody's always trying to get justice and things just keep escalating. I mean, and folks, again, I get it that the Philistines are bad and that Samson's kind of the hero of the story, but this is not exactly how things are supposed to be handled. You say, but God wanted Samson to beat the Philistines and he did. But I believe God wanted, I believe if Samson would have followed God's will and been obedient, I think what he would have done is he would have fought them in a regular war. He'd have got the armies of Israel together like they were supposed to. He would have led them in the fight. He would have led them in the battle and they would have utterly destroyed them like they did before. But all we have going on here is more of just a personal conflict. Again, God's getting the job done. God's getting the job done, but... It's not ending well for Samson. So I'm not I'm not here trying to defend the Philistines in any way. They were really bad. But I am just saying here that everything we're seeing play out, these are not good ways to respond to things. Samson's behavior here is not a good behavior. But what is happening is God is basically using a backslidden judge to deal with a wicked people. But God is also going to have to punish that backslidden judge because um, he, you know, what he's doing isn't exactly right either. And so the men of Judah, they come to bind him. And it says, um, the th- or the Philistines wanted to bind him. And so it says, then 3,000 men of Judah went to the top of the Rocky tem and said to Samson, knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this that thou hast done unto us? And he said unto them, as they did unto me, so have I done unto them. So notice right there, say, Phil, hey, we're just trying to get back at him. He hit us first. We're hitting him back. Samson, hey, I just hit them because they hit me first. And it's just like, you know, who, who hit first? Again, this is just escalating. This is why sometimes it's just best to just be done with something. Because you never, no, vengeance is never satisfied. It really isn't. That's why it belongs to God. And so they're saying the same thing to each other, the men of Judah. And this is this is wrong of the men of Judah, too, because notice how they're like, hey, the Philistines are rulers over us. Notice how they have just surrendered. They've just given up. They've got this mighty man there. They should be saying, hey, the Philistines are telling us to deliver you up. But, you know, we know that the spirit of God is on you. We know that God's given you great power. We should have dealt with these Philistines a long time ago. Why don't you lead us? in battle, and we'll fight with you against those Philistines. But no, what did they do? We need to take you in, Samson. And so, Samson, uh, he obviously isn't going to fight his own people. He's not going to fight the men of Judah. But Samson tells them, uh, he basically tells them, all right, fine, I'll go with you. Verse 12, And they said unto him, We are come down to bind thee, that we may deliver thee into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said unto them, Swear unto me, That ye will not fall upon me yourselves. And they spake unto him, saying, No, but we will bind thee fast and deliver thee into their hand. But surely we will not kill thee. And they bound him with two new cords and brought him up from the rock. And I do, I believe this was a bad move by the men of Judah. But understand, Israel was not right with God during this time either. And neither was Samson. And it's, this is pretty sad that they were willing to submit to the Philistines and deliver over this man that was chosen by God to deliver them. This was a bad move on their part. But it's, but again, God's going to use it anyway. There are just some things that God's will is going to be done no matter what. And it's just what what side do you want to be on? Do you want to be working against God or you want to be working with God? But there's some things that are going to, they're going to get done either way. And it's like when it comes to the church, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. There are some things like, you know, the Calvinists, because there are certain things that are predetermined, you could say, they act like everything's predetermined. And that's just false. And And so the thing is, the church is always going to be around. There will always be people getting saved. But that doesn't mean that it is predetermined whether or not I will contribute or be a hindrance to that type of thing. You have a choice in that area. So the thing is the church is going to prevail. The church is going to make it to the end. There will be saved people. There will be people getting saved when Jesus Christ returns. The question is, are you going to contribute to that? That is not predetermined when it comes to what you personally are going to do, but God will have his will done. God will always have lights in this world until he returns. And God was going to defeat the Philistines. God had determined, I'm going to defeat the Philistines. God had determined, I'm going to use Samson to defeat the Philistines. Samson is being rebellious against God, but you know what God says? I'm, I'm going to get it done anyway. But Samson, you're going to go through some hard times as a result of this. And so there's a lot of things like that in the Bible. So don't ever let a Calvinist come along too and just show you examples. And there are examples of, of God, basically, you could almost say, forcing His will in certain areas. There are th- things like that where God does that, but there are also things where God's will is not being done. For example, anytime when people perish, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. When people don't repent, when people don't get saved, when they reject salvation, that's God's will not being done. So, I don't want to get too sidetracked on that, but you can find examples of both things happening in the Bible. And so the Calvinists, they like to focus on where God's kind of forcing his will. Our side, we like to focus where, you know, it could go either way, but both, both things are in the Bible. So verse 14, and when he came into Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire and his bands loose from off his hands. And he found a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, With the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass have I slain a thousand men. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking, that he cast away the jawbone out of his hands and called that place Ramath-Lehi. Now, first off, not only is this an amazing miracle, one guy taking out a thousand. I would like to have seen what that battle looked like. I just, that that had to be something to watch. Um, yeah, I, I, I can only imagine how that took place. But this is a great victory for Israel too. I mean, here you have the Philistines that are oppressors over them, rulers over them, and a thousand of their soldiers dying with none of your people dying. I mean, that's a big thing. Right there, you know, when the men of Judah heard about that, it's like, you know what? Maybe it's time we fight these guys. If we've got a guy like Samson on our side, maybe it's time that we fight these guys. But we still don't see that. We still don't see that. But God's still going to get it done all by himself. And so in verse 18, and he was sore athirst, thirst and called on the Lord and said, thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. And now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hands of, of the uncircumcised. And, you know, this is interesting here because it's like, you know, after he kills a thousand people and it's clear the spirit of God came upon him. I mean, do we really think God's going to use Samson to kill a thousand people like that and then just let him die of thirst? But at the same time too, even though the spirit of God was on him, how do you think he probably felt after fighting a thousand people? You know, he was probably wore out pretty good. That was probably, I I can't even imagine how he would have felt But here's something interesting that I I really want to focus on because um, we see many things like this in the Bible. And when you see something in the Bible, when you see a miracle, when you see something that's just very unusual, there's probably a message there. There's probably, you could even say almost something prophetic in there. And notice how it says, so Samson's thirsty. He's somewhere or there's obviously nothing to drink. And it says, uh, and so he's thinking he's going to die of thirst. He can, he doesn't have any strength left. But it says, but God clave and hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water there out. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. Wherefore he called the name thereof Enhakori, which is in Lehi unto this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines twenty years. So. With, without a doubt, there there has to be a message in water coming from a jawbone like this, okay? i found a lot of jawbones. i found a lot of skulls out in the woods. Uh, me and my dad, we used to go out in the woods regularly uh, during uh, certain times of the year looking for shed antlers of deer. And you know what you don't find in bone is water. I mean, especially enough to uh, quench any thirst or anything like that. But you know, it does seem like God has a habit and in the Bible, of making water come from places where you wouldn't normally get water. And can anybody think of one well-known story where you got water from someplace you shouldn't get water? Yeah, the water from the rock, right? And without a doubt, the water coming from the rock is a picture of salvation. And I think too here, we're even seeing in this story, you can kind of say another, a shadow of salvation that you could say. And so... Um, I, I want to point out a few things too, because I I think this picture you could you you know, you could say, and maybe I'm reading a little too much into it. I don't think so, that it is kind of like a picture of the water of life or living water. Because the thing is too, you know, when you're that thirsty too, and in just a jawbone, there's not going to be that much water in there. I don't think the bone was just full of water. No, I think water started coming out to where he had it kept coming. Till he got everything he needed. And just like the water when it came from a rock, there was a lot more, the volume of water that would have come from that rock was far more than what a rock can hold, which is also none. Okay, So so even, even if the rock was hollow. But God has the ability to do things like that. And in John chapter 4, verse 9, I want to point this out, because I think this is interesting too, but the Bible says in John 4, 9, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And the woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that, <clears throat> that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And so how, how is this a reminder of salvation, the story where he gets water from a bone? Well, first off, You can't get water from a bone, but God can. And let me tell you, you can't get salvation on your own. You can't get your salvation from anything, but God can. Okay, God is the source of salvation. God is the one who gets salvation. The Calvinists, they are often very good and very eloquent at explaining how salvation is of the Lord. How salvation is 100% a, a work of Jesus Christ. And, you know, they can say a lot of these things. They can give a lot of scriptures. And did you know that it's all true? But at the same time, that doesn't mean there's no choice. You know, they just they just jump to this conclusion. And just like you have all these people that are always having a contest of who is the most hardcore on believe only, you know, where some people say that it's heresy to teach a sinner's prayer or it's heresy to teach you have to call on the Lord. Well, you know what what I have to say to those people is the Calvinists have you beat because they think it's worth salvation to even tell somebody that you have to believe as if you do it. There's always you can always take it a little farther, you know, if you want. You know, so the Calvinists, they probably take it the farthest to where you can't even choose to believe, God just gives you that belief. Because salvation is of the Lord. Yeah, salvation is of the Lord, but that doesn't mean You don't have to believe (laughs) it doesn't mean you don't have a choice. And salvation is something that uh, it does. It only comes from God. It does not come from any work you do. But finding water from a bone, finding water from a rock, it does. It sends a clear message that God is a source. When you see the story of Moses smiting the rock and water coming from the rock, is there any doubt that God is the source of that, that God is doing a miracle in that situation nobody nobody that was in israel during that time was going to look at that rock and think wow that was some rock nobody's going to think that as that water comes from that rock they're going to look at that and say wow you know what god is taking care of us god is providing god is providing for us god is the one that is giving us life that is sustaining our life right now and folks that's what you ought to see when you see salvation, when, when a person gets saved, when a person, when, for a person to believe on Christ, they've got to realize that hey, my only hope of salvation it, does, it comes from God. It doesn't come from anything that I do. When a person looks at the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, they ought to look at that and they ought to say, "Wow, look what God did for me." That's what they should look at, and that's what we should see in the story and in these stories. In the story with Samson. It is very clear that God is providing the water here, that God is taking care of him. Samson is crying out to God, thinking he's gonna die of thirst. He has no way to get to any water, but what happens? God provides that water for him, and it gives him, it gives him life. And then the story of the woman at the well. You know, she, Jesus asked her for a drink of water. She's shocked that he's even talking to someone who is of Samaria, and Jesus said, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask of him living water. And, and so this is important too, because living water is, it, um, we got, that's not just a salvation thing, but living water is water that is, uh, it's like a spring. It's water that continues to come. Not just like, you know, in a, in a well, a lot of times, a lot of times wells dry up. That's a very common thing. The woman at the well, she is drawing water from that well and wells do. Well, sometimes dry up, but when that you have a source of living water, as they like to call it, that's where you just continually have water coming from there. And if, and back in those days, we don't think about this stuff because we have plumbing, we have water towers, you know, we have all these things today, but understand back in that day, back in these deserts, when they would find a place that had living water, they had like this endless supply, not just like a river. Sometimes rivers dry up too. But when you have these, uh, when you have these uh, springs of water, that is a ref, that, that's called living water. And those were the best because if you found a spot that had living water, you knew there will always be a supply here. There will always be something here, And I think that's why God uses living water as an illustration for salvation. Sal- when we get salvation, it's not like going to a well. It's not even like going to a river or going to a stream, but it's like, it's like having a source of living water or a spring that continues to come. And notice what Jesus said in John four fourteen. He said, but whosoever drink of the, of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So it's not like the living water. It's not just like this. And I understand he's speaking figuratively here. But when you picture living water, don't think of it as water where I can take a cup of this and I'll never be thirsty again. No, think of it as a I have a water source that will never run out. Okay, That's even better. Because at the end of the day, who wants to take a drink where they never thirst again? I personally enjoy drinking water. I like a nice cold drink. Okay? But understand the reason he's saying living water because it is, it's just an endless source. It's always there. You always have it. It's never going to run out. It's never going to go away. There was living waters that came from the Gihon Springs where they built the temple. And what's cool, you can go there today and you know, there's still water coming from there. I mean, it, that, and it, it's an amazing thing. I mean over 2000 years after that temple was destroyed you know what there's still water coming from that spring it's it's still it's still coming through there i mean it was it was neat when we were walking through there just thinking about the fact that you know water's been flowing here like this since before the time of hezekiah when when they when they built those tunnels that's an amazing thing and the reason god uses illustrations like that is because salvation is in fact, eternal. Once you drink it, you have living water springing up in you. You have an endless source of water. You don't have to be selfish with water like that. And that's why too, we can give it out. We can share it. We can spread it. That's what, that's what it's all about. And so back to the story with Samson, I, you know, this is an unusual miracle. Okay. Not just them killing a thousand people, That's a cool miracle there too. But even God just providing water from a a jawbone. God providing uh, water, living water, a source of life from something that was dead. And understand too, what was it that provided life for us? It was the death of Christ. It was the body of Christ. His body was killed and it was offered up as a sacrifice for our sins. Isn't, and God often does that, where God takes something dead and He uses it as a source of life. And without a doubt, I think this is just one more example of God just sharing a picture of salvation with us. And that uh, that is, it's so important that we always keep those things in mind. And so, back to, uh, and so I wanted to cover that, but back to this story, and uh, obviously we're not going to uh, take the time to go into chapter 16. But notice how the chapter ends where it mentions he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. So basically, while the Bible does not give us a whole lot of details, we see that this after him winning this battle, it kind of changed the dynamic uh, a little bit. And so I don't know for sure if the Philistines are now kind of leaving them alone they're backing off. There's kind of a stalemate. I don't know what's going on, but for 20 years, he's, he's judging the Philistines, but all this stuff that happened, this was as a result of God is trying to stir things up. And if we can get anything from this chapter, we need to understand the importance of just not letting things escalate. We've got to learn how to just move on from things. And I don't want to preach uh, Sunday night's message, but Um, on Sunday nights, I've been going about just necessary qualities for successful families. At the very beginning of that, I wrote out the titles for the five different messages, kind of five key things I wanted to cover. And when I put for this fourth one that we're going to be covering this week, and I mentioned this because it just applies to the message tonight too, I kind of put three things, but they're all, while they're three different things, they're all kind of related to each other. And that is compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. You have to have that stuff because guess what? There are always offenses in this life. There are always things happening. And when we get into this habit of just trying to right every wrong, it just makes things worse. Things just become bigger and bigger. And that, and we have Samson. I'm just doing to them what they did to me. We've got the Philistines. We're just doing to Samson what he did unto us. And at the end of the day, what we ought, what we ought to do as Christians, we ought to be able to understand that, you know what, we've received living water. We've received salvation. We receive compassion from Jesus Christ. We receive mercy. We receive forgiveness from Jesus Christ. We don't have to right every wrong. We don't have to fix, uh, you know, everything that has been done to us. We've received cleansing. We receive that water of life. And so, uh, I think there's some good lessons that we can get from this story. And it is, it's, it's my opinion. It's, it's my opinion that when Samson got that water from, uh, that jawbone of a donkey, I think that, that bone probably acted it like a spring. I don't think he just got a little sip of water. I think, I think water was flowing out of that thing probably. And like, almost like water out of a hose until he got everything he needed. And moved on. That's just my opinion. But and I I just believe that, too, because I think we're seeing a picture of salvation in this story with Samson. Samson had great abilities, but he was limited and he would have died without water. And God provided it for him. And we've got to understand our sin, our trying to make things right, even our us trying to take care of our own sins, which is what most people are doing today. They're trying to fix their own problems. Yeah, I've messed up. Yeah, I've done wrong against God. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to fix it by, you know, being a better person, repenting of their sin. It is just amazing to me how many people say the same things when you talk to them. Do you know for sure if you're going to go to heaven? I, I think that's such a good question to ask people because it reveals whether they're trusting in themselves somebody else and most people are not completely sure and you know what most when people who aren't completely sure about their salvation you know what they always do they always tell you you know just try to be a good person just try to do better and you know what our sin it's going to leave us weak tired and defeated even though samson killed a thousand people he's almost acting like he was defeated at the end of this he's like lord why are you letting this happen to me I feel like I'm just going to die. And you know what? Everybody has to come to a point in their life where we call on God for the living water that will satisfy our soul. That's where we've got to get people to. We've got to find these people that are out there that are defeated, that are tired, that aren't getting any victory, that have no assurance. And we need to show them that the only way is you've got to drink the, that water of life. And you can't just keep trying. I think too... And the story of the woman at the well. Um, imagine, and we we have a tough time picturing these things because we're we have all our technology and everything. I mean, literally, all we have to do to get water. Just turn a faucet, you know. And and that's not even good enough. You know, it's too hard for us. To, you know, that water's not clean enough for us. You know, we just go buy pre bottled water already, all ready to go. And I mean, it, it, every, everything's so easy for us. But imagine if you had to go to a well all the time imagine just doing that work, and you know you could say people who are trying to work for their salvation, obviously um you know it's not a, you know none of the illustrations are perfect illustrations, but it is just that's kind of what they're doing when they're going to a well every day, drawing their own water, they're doing all that work for that water, and what they need is just living water they need that constant source, and you know they they need something. You know, we like while it's not living water, while our water doesn't come from a spring, it's almost like that. I mean, pretty much any time you go turn that faucet, there's water that comes from it, doesn't it? And not guaranteed. If we lose our electricity, it goes out. You know, we can lo- you can lose water pressure, but living water it never it never runs out. And that's what we have to have for salvation. And the people that are out there today that are doing their communion regularly to so they can go to heaven, doing their confessions to the priest trying to be a good person. That's just them going to the well every day, never satisfied, leaving tired, and they're going to have to keep going again the next day, and the next day, and Jesus provides living water. And what's so awesome about it is, what did Jesus tell that woman at the well? It's like, hey, if you knew what I had, all you do is ask for it. That's all we've got to do to get it. Just acknowledge that Jesus Christ has provided it, that we need it, and call on him. And Samson in this story, he was not really in a good state spiritually. He was in a pretty bad state. But notice too, that even though he's backslidden on God and he's been doing a lot of things wrong, God, God provided for him, didn't he? Too many people, when they, when it comes to getting saved, they're even thinking, well, you know, I've got I've to fix all these things in my life. You know, I, I, I've got to get my heart right first. It's like, no, you just need to recognize where you're at. Recognize the fact that you're a mess and just call on him right now. That's what you need. That's what you need to do. And if God will answer a request like that with Samson, you know, God will do the same thing with us. You can have a bad attitude about it. You can, you know, have all kinds of issues, but I think without a doubt, when I look at the story with Samson getting water from a jawbone, I, I have a hard time not looking at that thing. That's a really unusual miracle. I think God's trying to tell us about something and I can't think of a better illustration or, um, or what it could be illustrating other than salvation. I do think it's a picture of salvation. So hopefully uh, that was a help to you and you'll think about your salvation anytime you read that story and what God did with Samson there. And so with that, let's close the word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for uh, this story, Lord. This is a, a neat story. I remember learning this one as just a, a little child. It's a memorable thing, Lord. It's got a, a great battle in there, Lord, but it also has a miracle from you. And Lord, I pray you help us to uh, spread that message about the water of life uh, to this world. Lord, there's so many people out there that are working so hard, never finding any satisfaction, but uh, help us to uh, help people realize that uh, you are their only hope and that they will go to you for that living water so they'll never have to worry about thirsting again in your name we pray amen